0: As I said uh, earlier, Advent is this very rich time where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus and we long for the second coming of Jesus. But also it's an opportunity for us to um, explore the key themes of Advent in relation to our lives. And every year we're invited to just go a little deeper, um, living in and experiencing the beautiful peace, hope, joy and love of God. I, uh, I picked up my boy Judah uh, the other day, um, we've got a little uh, Monday afternoon mission that we do together um, for a few things that he's, he's uh, brushing up on, and um, I was like, oh, how's your day, Judah? And uh, he said, "I, oh, you know, epic day, and I was like, oh, why is that? He said, oh, one of my mates uh, in class, it was his birthday, I was like, oh, cool, and I was like, well, you know, that's great, what happened that made it so epic? He said, oh, this kid just bought all these lollies. For everyone in the class to celebrate his birthday. And um, there's a photo actually, this is when I picked him up, he's just like, I mean, decent lollies, like packets of lollies for every kid in class. So he's absolutely geeking out. And, um, and I was like, Judah, thank you. You've just given me a great sermon illustration. Are you happy if I use it? Which is what my dad didn't do to me, uh, for the record, when I was growing up as a pastor's kid. Uh, he was like, how sweet as. Because uh, I was like, dude, this is like the story of Advent. This is Christmas. It's like Jesus comes and we get the presents. It's like, mate, how sweet is that? You know, I'm like, this is amazing. And the greatest gifts are the themes of Advent. That in Jesus, you can have... Peace, and joy, and hope, and you can know his love. And trust me, there's nothing in the world that's richer than those four things. That's what it's all about. And you know, in our society, we have just people just craving those four things. Most advertisements you see are trying to feed this desire for, for one of those four things. Have this, you'll be filled with joy, you'll, you'll be, you know. And... and You know, we live in this super stressed, um, world. The next month isn't exactly the month we're all like, oh, it's so relaxed and chill. It's like, no, it's presents and shopping and family. I mean, those three things, are, you know, is all the stress. you got work, the, all these socials that you get at, all these, things, all these volunteer events, thank you. Oh, man, you know, meat fest. And it's, like all these, it's like all these things that uh, and it's a super stressful. But we also live in this world that's stressed and anxious and people self-medicate all the time because because they lack peace and, uh, and, they're, and they're deficient in joy. We're a joy-starved culture. And people struggle with existential questions around hope. And supremely, people uh, feel this devoid, this void of love. And yet Jesus has stepped into our broken world. And if we follow the way of Jesus... We can have a soul that's flourishing. As Eli read out this morning, one of the key scriptures, we're going to be exploring the theme of peace this morning. In Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy is given, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, this is just so incredible, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Like, you know, you've got your name, you know, Jesus, but what do they call him? You know, they called him Emmanuel, God with us. They called him the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Like, that's like who, that's what he's like. Isn't that amazing? And so, um, I want to explore the whole theme of peace this morning and what that means for us. It's a major theme in the Bible. Every book in the New Testament addresses this theme. Uh, The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. So, it's not just this absence of conflict. Uh, But it means completeness or wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence indeed of agitation or discord. I mean what an amazing, I mean the the word peace is so nuanced and multi-layered, it's so beautiful. Um, St. Leo the Great, one of the early church fathers says, Peace is the first thing the angels sang. Peace is the mark of the children of God. Peace is the nurse of love peace is the mother of unity, peace is the rest of the blessed souls, peace is the dwelling place of eternity. So I want to explore this morning this whole concept of peace but um, as you'd know we've taken a journey as a church now for a number of years where we have looked predictably at like what it means to follow Jesus and to apply spiritual disciplines and practices to our lives so that we can faithfully follow the way of Jesus and indeed be transformed from glory to glory. So I want to, I want to speak this morning to, to two things very briefly. The fact that we have these moments where God just sovereignly gives us his peace as a gift. And I believe he wants to do that this morning and he already has. Just kind of like impartation of the peace of God. But you know what I think is way more interested is our formation, as our lifestyle, as our heart's, because it's one thing, When Charlotte were talking about the kind of metaphor. This is Charlotte's idea. This is really cool. She's going to tease this out in a coming sermon. But, you know, we can have the like, Lord, I need your peace to rain down on me, you know? And, it's, and he does. But it's like Jesus is actually calling us to dig wells of peace and wells of joy and wells of hope so that these practices, we've got a lifestyle where we can draw deeply and we have a deep root system so that our lives can be cultivated and marked increasingly by peace. Because you can, I mean, God, God will. He's such a generous God. He can give you peace and impart peace. But then if the rest of your life a the fire of stress and anxiety, it's going to be very difficult to live from a place of peace. But I tell you what, I want us to be a counter-cultural people in a very stressed and anxious age that we would be a non-anxious presence filled with the peace of God. That doesn't matter about what's happening in our external world because our external, Jesus said, man, you're going to go through all sorts of stuff. It uh, doesn't matter what happens to the external, that there's an inner peace that you carry through it all. That's the sort of thing I'm after. And so Jesus, um, in John 14, uh, f- 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 you know, fascinating discourse, because this is like Jesus' last words to his disciples. And anytime someone's giving their last words, you know it's a big deal. So Jesus is talking to me, he says, Jesus uh, replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now, this is where, again, it's like, hey, guys, it's not just about believing in Jesus. It's about following him and obeying what he calls us to, the lifestyle that he wants us to live. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. Peace I leave with you my peace i give you i do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid i mean jesus is constantly saying like there's always this connection between obeying and lifestyle and living this out and and the gifts of god particularly that our soul would flourish and would be people filled with love joy and peace uh and 2 corinthians uh, Paul hits us. finally brothers and sisters rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one, one another, be of one mind, live in peace. Not just experience it fleetingly from time to time, but live in it and the God of love and peace be with you. Philippians 4 verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So again, this is just a common thing throughout the Bible. So I want to explore five things that you can do to practice peace, and then we're going to take communion. We're going to ask for God to impart His sovereign peace. Um, but but um, these five things I'd suggest that would be helpful to do if you want to like live in peace. Uh, to have a peace inside us because the Prince of Peace has taken residence in our hearts and because he's begun to order the priority and habits of our lives so that his peaceable way is our peaceable experience increasingly. So, here's five. So, the first thing is this if you want to live with greater peace in your life, uh, I would encourage you to pursue righteousness and peace. Psalm 85 says this. Oh, listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but I love this. But let them not return to folly. Don't be a silly Billy. Don't, you know, if you did some stuff that there wasn't that great back in the day, don't go back there. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him that his glory may dwell in our land. Now listen, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. What the psalmist is saying is there's an intimate connection between righteousness and peace. And Isaiah 48, verse 22, it says it very, very uh, straightforward. There is no peace, says the Lord for the wicked. <laughs> now, uh, we've talked about this a few times, but everything God calls us to is motivated by love and leads us to life. And so when, when there's these elements of, of our life where it's like we feel tempted to do certain things, often it's to anesthetize pain. Everything God calls us to is motivated by love and leads us to life. So when he says don't do something, it's not because he wants to ruin your fun. It's because he wants to cause you to walk into a space where you're fully alive. And so, um, you know, there's a, I mean, a lot of pot gets smoked in the bay. All right. Now, why? It's because people long for peace. It's artificial peace, though. It doesn't cultivate a soul filled with peace. Sometimes people smoke it because they're bored as well, whatever, find a cause, give your life to it, that'll deal with that. But it's like when it comes to to living a righteous life, like when we deal with our brokenness, it leads to greater peace in our life. And that's the journey that all of us are on. And you never graduate past that. John Altbrood says that saints burn more grace than sinners do. Like the more that you track with God, the more... And all you are and grateful of the grace and mercy of God. And the more you just want to pursue after that. But, but Titus says grace teaches us how to live holy lives. And so there's a sense where there is a journey that should be the normal journey of the Christian person where we, uh, the Bible says, get transformed from glory to glory. So we work through that brokenness. Now, does that happen quickly? No. <laughs> Like, man, counseling sessions and prayer ministry and confession and all that sort of stuff you've got to do, but it's worth it because the fruit is great peace in your life. And don't believe any lie of the enemy that says your particular issue or addiction, you'll never be freed from it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Never give up. Never give up. Keep running to Jesus. That's why we're taking communion at the end of this morning, because through the cross of Christ, we have peace with God. And so this is why it's so it's like the The beautiful tension of the Christian life in many ways is that as we're empowered By the Spirit, He leads us like we're loved into holiness, not like told off into holiness. And so, God, in His beautiful love and mercy, calms and invites us to live a life worthy of the calling that He's given us to be a son and daughter of the Most High God. And so, He empowers us by His Holy Spirit to to walk into that righteous lifestyle. Uh, And so, this is the invitation for us all to pursue this. And every time we muck up, His grace is there. Isn't that amazing? You just can't lose. And and it gives us lots of times, and I'm like, the, the, we wrestle with this, if we're really honest, because we think we have to get to a certain threshold of goodness before we can come to church and hang out with Jesus. But actually, that's just crazy, that's just a works theology. Jesus had a lot of stern words with the Pharisees, because he's like, You've got to be kidding me. Like, there's no, that's not the way it rolls. We run to the one who can make us clean. It's only grace, it's all grace. And as something happens in our life, as we as we hang out with this holy God filled with grace and mercy that changes us from glory to glory, and I tell you what, your life just gets filled with more peace as you allow that transformation to take place. So pursue that. Uh, the second thing uh, is to slow down our lives. Now, I love that Advent just over the years has morphed into this massive commercial friggin' mess, right, of just intensity. And... And I'm like, what a perfect time to explore the peace of God when, like, everything's set up to make it tricky. But I'm like, you know, when uh, Jesus calls us to follow him, he invites us to slow down our lives, not speed them up. Like, when you follow Jesus, it's actually about... No one wants to do more stuff. We're going to be telling this riff tonight at our big picture. It's like, we're not asking you to do more. We're actually asking you to do less as we follow the way of Jesus. Now, this passage from the message from Matthew eleven is just so so stunning. One of Eugene's finest moments as he translated the New Testament. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Uh, You've heard me quite a number of times this, but but it just keeps kicking my butt. Dallas Willard was like, what do, I, what do I have to do to be just alive spiritually? And he's like, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I mean, that's such a challenge, eh? Because our society celebrates busy and rushed people. It's just normalized. And yet Jesus invites us to come and to slow down. Hurry is incompatible with love. I'll say that one. Hurry is incompatible with love. It's very difficult to love when you're in a rush. And it's interesting that um, Jesus' ministry, for the most part, was a ministry of interruptions in his day. And when you're hurrying from one place to the next, it's very difficult to be present to what God may want to do with you and through you. Um, And I'm I'm so captivated by this. Every summer... Uh, just about every summer, I look at my weekly schedule and I'm like, Lord, how can I ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life so that I can carry your peace? And like, what would it look like to be part of a community where people have, like, I love that word, ruthlessly eliminated hurry from their lives so that they've got margin and there's a stillness to them and they're very present with you. What would that look like? There's a Japanese theologian called um, Kosuku Koyama who wrote a beautiful book called The Three Mile-an-Hour God. And he, the thesis is like basically Jesus never ran anywhere. You never, ever see in the Gospels Jesus running everywhere. He is always walking, even if someone's dead. You know, he's like, okay, and he gets interrupted. Just, he's just, and then I love this. He says, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. But love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to what we are to to what we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is lord over all other speed since it is the speed of love. I just, I just, I just love this picture of Jesus, just not in a rush. You know. In fact, uh, I think it was um, Eugene was asked, you know, what would be one word you'd describe to, use to describe Jesus? And he thinks for a while and he's like, relaxed. I just, I'm just so just captivated by this Jesus. And I'm like, oh, no wonder you're the Prince of Peace. <laughs> it's like you're just not in a rush. And so what if your followers are actually meant to pick up that yoke that's easy and the burden that's light To be yoked to Jesus who walks at three miles an hour. Just what an incredible. But the tricky thing is, I I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm repeating myself a lot this morning, but I'm trying to drill this home, is that all the spiritual practices are at first very revealing and confronting about our brokenness. But then if you stick with them, this is where most people give up on silence and solitude and reading scriptures and prayer and Sabbath rest and all these. it's Because it's so confronting of our brokenness and no one likes to look at their brokenness. But if you stick with the spiritual practice long enough, it's the conduit to healing that then cracks you through to the new life everyone longs for. That's when your soul starts flourishing. And so like when it comes to like for me, I've had to work through like how can I slow my life down? Well, there's a whole lot of pride in me that thinks I'm indispensable. Well, that's pretty revealing and confronting. There's a whole thing of I hate disappointing people. But like Jesus was constantly disappointing people. He disappointed the crowds. He disappointed the religious expectations of the religious community. He disappointed his disciples. He disappointed his family. He was constantly disappointing people because he knew whose he was. And he didn't have to impress other people because he knew he was loved. And so he could slow down his life. And so I'm like, man, like to, if you genuinely want to slow down your life, you're going to have to make friends with the feeling of disappointing people. And, and that's exposing initially. But then if we stick with it, it's deeply healing. And we're actually, like, we're far more fruitful when we've said no to things and said yes to the things that Jesus has called us to. Most of us are in the kitchen making sandwiches Jesus didn't ask us to make. Number two, everyone's like, oh no. When is he ever going to give a just a chill sermon where I don't feel confronted about the brokenness of my life? I'm just pointing to Jesus, baby. That's not you. Blame him. (laughs) Number three uh, is to prioritise Sabbath. Jesus modelled retreat and engagement. Retreat and engagement. We love engagement. We struggle with the retreat. Um, And one of the main ways that the, the scriptures have in terms of a rhythm is Sabbath rest. We've got a whole home church module on this. Um, it's in the Ten Commandments. It's there from Genesis one. It's got all sorts of blessings associated with it throughout the Old Testament narrative. Uh, it's got a whole lot of consequences if they don't follow it in the Old Testament narrative. Jesus comes along, doesn't say there's no more Sabbath. He just says stop. Sabbath is not You're not meant to come under this whole thing of Sabbath. Sabbath is there to serve you, and I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says it's there to bring to lift you up. Uh, and then in Hebrews four, um, make every effort to enter into the Sabbath rest of God. This is a very clear. It's the aside from prayer, it's the clear. Spiritual discipline in the Bible. Uh, and for some reason, we've emphasized other things like tithing, which you have to, you know, I mean I'm all about, hey, don't everyone's like, Oh yeah, you don't have to tithe now, I get to rest. Where are you? It's like, well, you know, that's in there, but it's bizarre to me, that's where the big focus has been when Sabbath is way clearer in the scriptures. So I'm like, why is it that we're, and it's because the idols of our culture have become the idols of our heart. We were, again, we were just caught up in making bricks for Pharaoh and our identity is in productivity, not in whose we are. And so Jesus would, would, um, would often withdraw, it says Luke 5, 16, he often withdrew. Part of that was Sabbath rhythms of his culture that he continued for sure. Um, but Gordon MacDonald says this, Jesus knew his limits well. That's a that's a big statement. Jesus was fully human friends. He wasn't just hovering around a foot off the ground the whole time. He was reliant on the same Holy Spirit that we are. And he had a human body just like we do. And you have relational limits, emotional limits, physical limits. And Sabbath is a gift that sets us free. So strange as it may seem, he knew what we conveniently forget. Time must be properly budgeted for the gathering of inner strength and resolve in order to compensate for one's weakness when spiritual warfare begins. Sabbath... That's from Gordon MacDonald. Sabbath, and listen, this is so significant. Sabbath and rest are a form of spiritual warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Sabbath and rest, so not just Sabbath, but rest as well, having a nap. Just be free in Jesus' name to do that this afternoon. You know, like to rest is spiritual warfare. Because how do you overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil when you're absolutely shattered the whole time? Like, man, I'm going for that extra cream bun every time when I'm tired. You know, and fasting's over, hallelujah, we're in the season of feasting. Come on, church. Woo, me first. Uh, You know, and it's like the more we're under the pump, The more we need, like when you look at the life of Jesus, the more pressure that comes on. The more he's ducking away to rest and be still, and to just lie in the field and let God love him. And Sabbath was part of their rhythms every week. I mean, it's so rich and stunning. And uh, it's interesting in Genesis three with the fall is basically the the enemy, um, the temptations to go past the boundaries that God's given them, and and that plays to both our ego. Oh, no, I'm different than the other people. I can keep going. Or our fears. If I don't keep going, what will happen? But what does it look like in this season to go, I don't want to just have an impartation of peace. I want to have a lifestyle of the Prince of Peace. And so what does it look like to rest more over these next four weeks and to sleep more? And to Sabbath as well as you possibly can. And to spend time in the quiet. And to let Jesus bring peace to the deep places of your life. Like this is spiritual warfare when we do this. And this is the way of Jesus. And so I just love this. Sabbath. Sabbath. <laughs> I need a rest. After. I'm probably done now. Here's a thing. This is Rich for Lotus talking about the five truths of Sabbath. Sabbath is not a reward for your hard work. It's a gift. Sabbath is a reminder that our work will always be incomplete. Sabbath is a day that moves us from production to just being present. Sabbath reminds us that we are not God. Sabbath points to the deeper rest we need that's found in Christ. What a gift. Now, in the new covenant, you don't have to. The cross is sufficient. But why would you not want to engage with it? So this isn't a legalistic thing. We're not Seventh-day Adventists or anything like that. It's a gift still. But why wouldn't you want it? It's there under the tree waiting for you. It's one of the richest spiritual disciplines in my life. I love it. And uh, I missed it during our 21 days of fasting in terms of the pleasure stacking feasting side of it. But uh, we're going to make up for lost time. So uh, so the whatever number that was, three I think was uh, Sabbath rest. The fourth thing is to practice contemplative prayer. There are all sorts of ways to pray, and I love our pre meetings. We've got our pre meeting happening tonight at 7, 30, 7 p.m. The, uh, at the Engaged Church Lounge. Thank you, guys. Um, and th- th- that's a place of contending and intercession, and we've spent the last little while pr- praying and fasting. There are lots of ways to pray, and as Frank Ritchie was saying last week, there's so a beautiful um, marriage happening between the contemplative and the charismatic. It's awesome. It's such a—it's crazy. I was talking to one of the boys last night at meet Fest about this. You know, like the charismatics were suspicious of the contemplatives for a while there, and the contemplative liturgicals were suspicious of the charismatics, and it was all sort of circling each other. You know, um, and uh, and now it's like it's all. His presence is all over all of it. Why wouldn't we want it all? Uh, And last Sunday was one of my favourite Sundays in the world. We had the charismatic shake and bake in the morning, and it was all lots of fun. Then we had our contemplative service at night, which was just so beautiful and rich. And we're hoping next year to begin a monthly contemplative service once we've got our mid-sized building. Uh, But but God is restoring to the charismatic church the contemplative prayers. And this is the sort of praying that I believe Jesus was referring to when he calls us to abide in him in John 15. Literally translated, it's like "come rest in me" or "come home to me." Come to rest in the Father's love. This is contemplative prayer. Um, it's coming to a quiet attention of the Trinitarian community of love, joy, and peace. Ronald Rollheiser defines contemplative prayer as relaxing into God's goodness. Oh, what a line! And so for the catholics the opposite of contemplative prayer is an action the opposite which helps us understand what contemplative prayer is the opposite of contemplative prayer is an action it's reaction we were constantly reacting Reacting. So, the opposite of the contemplative life is not, I'm, a, I'm not contemplative, I'm actually doing stuff, I'm out there doing justice and working hard and giving my life to the kingdom. That's not the opposite of the contemplative life, that's the fruit of the contemplative life. The opposite of the contemplative life is a life of reactivity, reacting in fear and anxiety, and everything in life is always urgent and overwhelming, and the alerts are pinging on your phones, and the emails are, ah, you know, it's, that's the opposite to the contemplative life. And so, what we are learning here at Bay Vineyard through set Pre- and through uh, prayer rhythms in our days is, that, is to have these moments of contemplative prayer where we relax into the goodness of God and we're just still. And like, honestly, um, if you're going, oh, I want to get back into this, the emotionally healthy spirituality devotional where there's stacks of them floating around our church, just ask someone for one, Um is just brilliant because it starts with two minutes of silence, has a little reflection, and then finishes with two minutes of silence. And it's literally will take you eight or nine minutes, and it'll be one of the richest devos you've had if things have got wobbly. Because honestly, I, you know, I still do it from time to time. Two minutes of silence, my brain's all, and trying to slow down a little bit. And then you do the devo, and then the last two minutes of silence where you just you've tuned into the presence of God. By the time my little phone dings at two minutes, is I'm like, yeah, eh, eh, you know. And it's like this: my whole being's been reset, and I feel the stillness in my own being. Have you guys seen that Black Books episode where the guy swallows the little book of calm and he's just wandering around, burning manning? Whatever, you know, that's a deep cut. But um, <laughs> anyway, we're invited in Jesus to live and love from a place of abiding. And so, again, uh, this is the time to lean into this in this crazy season. And lastly, To cultivate a deep trust in God, which leads to a great freedom. Matthew chapter 6 says, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like this. This is a deep journey where we can deeply, deeply trust in God and yield our desire for control. We, John Mark Comer says this, we don't need to control or manipulate the people and events and circumstances of our life to a desired end in order to live at peace and to be content. That's so often, right, this thing like, oh man, I've got to try and control my world to try and hold on to some sort of peace. But according to the Bible, we are living with Jesus in his kingdom, and we are not just okay. In Jesus' language, we're blessed. We're blessed. So, no matter what happens, no matter the size of the storm, you can live a life free from fear as we relinquish our need to control and rest in his love. This is, I know this is like, this sounds so easy. But when you're worried about your kid at school or there's some terminal sickness in your, like there's, that's so difficult for us not to come to this place where we just want to try and control our lives. Ignatius Said it like this We should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one, for everything has the potential of calling forth in us a more loving response to our life forever with God. Our only desire and our one choice should be this I want and choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. Everything is a portal, particularly the challenges of life, to to trust Him more deeply to relinquish control, yield ourselves, and to live a life of freedom where we trust Him more deeply, even when our external world is complicated and stressful because Advent says that He is with us. That he's Emmanuel. He is, God is with us. He has stepped into our world, and He is with us. John Tyson says it like this. Sometimes God does the miracle, Like we know when your external world's all crazy or someone's really sick or you're stressed out about your job. Sometimes God does the miracle, but sometimes the true miracle is that you can get through things that others would fall under the weight of. I've witnessed this in our church a number of times where people have just had such a peace over their lives that totally transcends their circumstances. The miracle is not the avoidance of the problem. Jesus could not be more clear. In this world, you will have many troubles. Be encouraged, you know. No, Jesus was wrong. We've got a spirit of faith. It's like, no, Jesus was right. You've got bad theology. We live in a broken, fallen world. The miracle is that you have power and peace in the midst of it, not that you get into a special category where you avoid it all. We acknowledge the reality of what we're going through. We don't deny it. But in the middle of it, we can have supernatural peace. And this is why the serenity prayer is probably one some of us should be playing daily at the moment. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Mums, <laughs> and dads as well probably, especially mums. it? Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I just you just can't. You have to yield yourself to trusting in Him, and His sovereignty, and the courage to change the things I can. But has the, and the wisdom to know the difference, though, because so often we're trying to like change things that we're just not in control of. So Lord, grant me that that peace, that serenity to accept these things, and then we actually. We walk into a place of deep peace and freedom where we release the illusion of control. And through prayer and slowing, we yield it all back to God and rest in his sovereignty. You are not in control of so much of your life. And the sooner you can accept that reality, the easier you'll find it to walk in peace. Let go of that illusion of control and rest with God. He is a good God who's with you. And so the dream is that we would be this well differentiated person, calm, at peace, wise, compassionate, active and firm, but with a clear sense of boundaries. Ultimately that we would be a non-anxious presence carrying the peace of God in our world. What a beautiful dream. That would be a non-anxious presence carrying so. The five practices where you pursue righteousness and peace. To slow down the pace of our lives. To prioritise Sabbath and rest. To live from a place of contemplative prayer. And to cultivate a deep trust in God that leads to living a life of freedom. What a gift. Don't you want to live that life? And Jesus is for you. He wants you to experience this. This is why Advent's so beautiful. Every one of these themes, our soul craves. And yet he gives it to us. But as I've been saying, friends, we have to mature beyond just the impartation of peace and start to live a mature Christian life that cultivates a lifestyle of inner peace. And that's why these practices are so important. And this is why the best time to lean in to the practices of peace are the next four weeks. (laughs) That's the time. It's when the pressure cooker's on and your outside world would indicate that you should be robbed of peace and you should be anxious and you should be stressed and you've got that financial thing and that weird uncle coming for Christmas. All that thing going on and you're somehow in it as you lean into the practices of peace. You may be that weird uncle actually for some of your families. do so just get that around. <laughs> somehow as we practice the peace that this will be a year where it's not just theory, it's experienced Reality. Oh, Lord, let it be, where it's not just theory and not just a fleeting moment in a service as we get, but it's an experienced reality of a deep inner peace. And, you know, it it will mean from time to time sneaking away like Jesus did and withdrawing to a lonely place even for a couple of minutes and just to pray in a contemplative way, to be still and to rest in the goodness of God and then re-engage with Uncle Charlie, you know, and see what happens.